This is so weird and excellent. And so... <laughs> and also, this was your birthday present to me yeah, this year. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> I just... Oh, sorry. I'm totally speechless. It's so weird. We've been having such fun on Facebook today, just, like, <laughs> documenting our stupid voyage to this city. Yesterday, we thought we weren't going to be able to get here because the Sydney airport has been so badly messed up by wind, apparently. Who knew that, knew that there could be wind and that it would be problematic <laughs> for an aircraft? And yesterday I booked the overnight train in case we needed to... <laughs> and sales is like, I'm not sharing a cabin with you. I'm like, they're double cabins. It's me or some bikey, love. Dude, like, <laughs> Dude you're a vegetarian. I thought that sleeper cell was going to smell like lentils and quinoa. <laughs> You're so kind. Um, but I also was just remembering that um, I got this very funny uh, email from you, uh, which I'm going to read out. Um, on Monday, I get up on Monday morning and I check my email. And there's one from, from Lee Sales at 0049. <laughs> <laughs> Subject, I literally, I'll read it to you. It's not long. I literally woke up at 12.15am completely awake as if a fire alarm just went off with the thought, oh my God, we've charged 1,800 people $40 each and we literally do nothing but sit around talking and it's this Saturday and we have 5,000 bird lapel pins. <laughs> now excuse me while I return to staring glassy-eyed at the ceiling in complete panic like somebody on a three-day speed bender. That's it. <laughs> And now it's happening. And now I'm living that reality. <laughs> I just said to Crab as we walked down the corridor, it's like election night where you have that moment where you go, oh, I've left it too late to leave. <laughs> <laughs> or do a wee for nine hours, of course. Yeah, that's right, exactly. <laughs> so we've had a lovely uh, day in Melbourne today. Yes, we you, have. Do you know, actually, that I went to school for a year in Melbourne? No, I, I actually I literally did not know that. Um... Well, you don't know lots of things about me. Um, do you know, for example, that I used to be in a Christian pop band? That is not true. I know that you were a wedding singer. No, I was in a band um, when I was in my late teens with uh, my friend Chris and some others and we used to drive around in Chris's white combi van. I bet you were so cool. Was that in or out of your Highland dance gear? We... Uh, we were very cool, um, and in fact, Chris, who I was in the band with, the lead guitarist, now lives in Melbourne, and he's actually here. Chris? Your capacity for self-humiliation is actually... Oh, my God. Right, OK. He's <laughs> here. Chris from the Christian rock band. Rock yeah. on, Chris. I say it's a Christian pop band, but I think Chris prefers it to be known as a Christian rock band. <laughs> it was called Breakthrough. But so Hang on, we... sorry, stop. Back up the truck. Back up the truck. It was called Breakthrough? Yeah. <laughs> what in... was wrong? We always said Breakthrough. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I decided, um, because, you know, you had no piano in your contract writer, um, I decided to get Chris to come in. And, yeah, uh, I see what's happening. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> And, um, I don't think you need to explain anything. Else. And we've got, we've got a little number uh, that we've worked out for you and uh, for the audience. So hit it, Chris, for old, for old time's sake. Breakthrough. <laughs> <laughs> you rocking tonight, Wangaratha? <laughs>
went to work one day and I listened to a podcast on the way. It was called Chat 10 Looks 3. It's full of people just like me. They're really fun and they seem so nice and friendly. So I joined the Facebook page. 15,000 people claim it's all the rage. But I start to feel alarmed when I scroll back and see that they're all into crack. And 18 women all named Donna have strong thoughts on the Oxford comma. It's a cult, you're all in it. If you write a book, I'll pin it. And I'm not that into birds, but I love all you book nerds. We mock tubers, we say clang. In a compound we should hang. We worship Annabelle's clothes and her curly hair. good pose at least. I'm so embarrassed for you right now. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Second verse, not the same as the first. I went to bed one night and I thought that I should just turn off the light. But instead I take one last look at the group And then I'm sucked into a loop And when I next look at the time It's fucking 11.59 It's a cult, you're all in it If you write a book, I'll bin it And I'm not that into birds But I love all you book nerds We mock tumors, we say clang In a compound we should hang We worship Annabelle's clothes and her lovely hair her beautiful curly hair. <laughs> Chris, oh. you're such a good sport. Chris and I to have to learn that. <laughs> we FaceTimed each other and we had this like nice little preamble about, oh, is the technology so amazing? And we used to have to schlep around with our instruments in the combi van and now we can just practice on tech, you know, we're using our technology. And then we started practicing and you had about a time. <laughs> you had about a one second delay. Think, yeah, that's right. But I mean people pay a lot of money for that, actually, you know, the studio, that delay effect, you know, so <laughs> So, yeah, we had a bit of a hard time just making Just before you good. pop off, Chris, um, I just... Okay. I would like to just have one or two insights okay. into <laughs> what working with Sales in the early part of her creative career was like. A bit bossy, but, but, maybe? Well, well, I don't remember anything about bossiness, you know, but uh, a lot of laughing, definitely, but, yes, they had some moments there where Lee has a very low tolerance for jamming, in band practices. <laughs> now, there's kind of like, if you, uh, we, we had three songwriters in the band, right? And Uh-oh. so, Lee being one of the prolific songwriters, now we had a, kind of like a, a, an unspoken rule. If you wrote the song, then you get to tell everybody else how to play it, okay? Now, when Lee was writing, we were working on her song, and I'm, I'm doing this introduction for the song on the guitar with the drums, and it just wasn't quite, it was a bit too fast. So, Lee's... <laughs> So then Lee's getting a bit upset because she's saying, okay, all right, it's too, too fast, so it needs to slow down. Okay. So then I play it really slow, like too slow, 
And um, just, like, to Give me the guitar. just to sort of like dig, dig that in a little bit there. And yeah, she's going, oh, ha, 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 that's really funny. Um, and us being our juvenile selves, we're carrying on a bit. And, uh, and then so we pick it up a bit. And then she gets to the point where she had this, this two things that she used to do. One would be, it was the sigh. Right. She'd get to the point of frustration that it would be... <sighs> I get that quite a lot. Like that. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah, still right. current. That's right, yeah. It's, a, it's the... <sighs> like that. It's a, if you listen closely in the podcast, I think you'll hear a couple of... <sighs> in there, right? And, then, um, and, and the other one was, if we started jamming into something, she'd go, no, no, stop, like this, no. Uh, Chris, thanks for coming. Thank <laughs> <laughs> right Thanks, Chris. Somebody get him out of here <laughs> immediately. Gee, your uh, language has really deteriorated since you were in that Christian rock band, love, hasn't it? <laughs> hey, uh, can I talk about something? I don't know why I would ever be able to stop you. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to talk about bums. Sure. Because, so we said on the podcast before that from all of these live shows, because the chat 10, the chatters, as we um, call all the fans, are all so lovely and kind and generous. We want to donate a a percentage of proceeds from all of these live shows to a charity. Um, Now, so hold that aside. When we were looking for charities to donate to, I want to talk about the one that we're going to donate um, from the Melbourne show towards, um, which is there are medical conditions that get lots of attention and get lots of money, and then there's medical conditions that um, just don't for whatever reason. One of the things that doesn't, if you've got a problem with your bum... There's not much money going into bum research because... No one's going to be the poster boy for bums? No one wants to be the bums poster boy. But if you have a problem with uh, your bowel or your colon or any of those sorts of things, and lots of people are born with um, problems, um, it's it's really debilitating because socially it's such a terrible thing if you have issues controlling um, yourself. So um, at the uh, Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne, there's a, an associate professor, Sebastian King, who's doing some really um, groundbreaking work trying to help children with bum issues. Because you can imagine how bad it is if you're a child with bum issues. And so we've decided, because we're not that cool, we want to support charities and causes that aren't that cool, and so we're going with bums. So... <laughs> So the Royal Children's Hospital and um, the work of Sebastian King, which is some really great groundbreaking work about stem cell research and putting nerves into parts of where kids have colons where they don't have appropriate um, nerve endings that teach them, you know, how to do things. They're trying to transplant stuff into that and it's working quite well. Sebastian, are you out there? Did I explain? (laughs) Did I explain that? The bum doctor is in the house. (laughs) Did I explain that all right? <laughs> Congratulations, you're now the spokesmodel. <laughs> I'm the bums girl. I'm the face of bums. <laughs> anyway, we've had a great day in Melbourne so far. Yeah, so sales made me go to the spaghetti tree, which is um, like, I love how they, it's just now a joke. That, I, we were, um, I was tweeting at Julia Zamiro today because, can I get a clang? Can I get a clang? <laughs> oh, okay, sorry, say that again. <laughs> So I was tweeting with Julia Zamiro today. Oh, clang! <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and because she used to work there, right, as a, as a waiter many years ago. Um, and um, I was trying to get her to take our order, but it was just really felt quite flat. Um, <laughs> so we sneaked in there and had a delicious lunch. Is it sneaked or snuck? We, I would say sneaked. I think cheats say snuck. I think snuck is like one of those non-words. I'd say snuck. So hang on, let's just let's judge it by round of applause. Who, if you say sneaked, 
if you say snuck. <laughs> oh, wow, in your face. <laughs> I will be in my trailer. <laughs> Anyway, we snuck into... Which we, did. we snuck into... <laughs> we <laughs> snuck into tree. the spaghetti tree, had a modest entree. We didn't have long, no. so we were ushered very efficiently to a seat quite near the gents. What did you and, think? Uh, <laughs> Firstly, what did you think of the decor? It was dusty. Like, I sort of had their yeah. feeling that it had been there for quite some time. But it was very well uh, populated, actually. It's it was. It was a really busy. Venue. But what we, about the um, food? Um, mine was delicious, actually. I had a salad that had prawns that were crusted with black sesame seeds. I mean, I don't know how that was achieved, but it was very nice. I had uh, fettuccine arrabbiata, which is always what I have at Spaghetti Tree. <laughs> it's my dish of choice. You're in and out inside 15 minutes. It's <laughs> yeah, like, it was good. Sales <laughs> is there at like one minute past six, typically. And Leaves then... at 20 past. And then we went to the National Gallery of Victoria. Oh, my God. So has anyone been to the Dior exhibition there? So what I loved about it, um, just before even discussing details of the exhibition, was there was this great gang of chicks there today in full gowns. Like they were in proper, you know, 50s Dior magnificence. Oh, I, I, they were fully made up, great hair, great shoes. I felt like... I want to take a picture of them, but then I felt like such an idiot that I didn't, um, but I wish I had. Um, they looked so great and they were having a really good day out. And the exhibition is just blinding you know there's so much stuff and it's so thoughtfully curated I really love it like they, they kind of group the exhibits into sort of motifs in Dior's history and then they um, have more modern things that are kind of riffing off that design or that theme I thought it was really intelligently curated and it's look I've become a real convert as well to fashion as art <laughs> I love how you just like saying that like this is just a recent thing like I mean, you <laughs> just like gives you an excuse to tell me to watch that Dior film yet again which I <laughs> still haven't done but now feel marginally more like doing Dior and I it's called yeah, um, is it oh yeah. really you should have mentioned that before <laughs> But that, so the guy who's in Dior and I, Raph Simons, um, they have quite a few of his dresses. He worked for Calvin Klein before Dior, and so they're very sort of um, what I would describe as clean, you know, not, not very busy. But then at the other end of that is John Galliano, who, I mean, I know that he's an anti-Semite, but he's a genius. <laughs> he's a genius anti-Semite. Oh, that tech takes care of tomorrow's Sunday Herald Sun. Thank you very much. <laughs> ABC Fat Cat apologises for the apologists for anti-Semitism. I'll be writing this stuff. Oh. You are welcome. So, <laughs> some of those dresses of his are mind-blowing, absolutely mind-blowing, and a There's lot of this... it is your style. I, not here, not John Galliano. Yeah. Yves Saint Laurent and those people. Yeah. You could wear all that stuff. There's this one dress there, which is. Probably the plainest dress. and It's right when you walk in. It's this black strapless ball gown. And it is so exquisite. Because like, when something is so simple, to be amazing, it has to just have an extraordinary structure and tailoring. And it's this dress that used to belong to Margot Fontaine. And it is... You could look at it for hours. It's so beautiful. It's sort of curved but also sharp at the same time. It's and so good. Can you remember the name of the guy who's made the hats for the exhibition? Stephen. Stephen something it was. Does anyone know a famous hat maker in London named Stephen? Jones. It's not Philip Tracy. Um, no. Stephen no. Jones? I think Jones? that's right. Is yeah. It Jones? 
Not um, the Labour um, uh, front bencher from New South Wales. <laughs> I believe that's not the same guy. But it is that Philip Tracy sort of style where it's unusual, you know, sort of things. There's one that was just like a twist of cellophane and it was, you know, probably a... $90,000 twist of cellophane, <laughs> but nevertheless, very, very impressive. It was fantastic. Um, um, and also they've done um, the woman, uh, Katie, can you remember her last name? Um, no. Oh, God. Somerville. Katie Somerville at the NGV who's cu- curated the exhibition. They've also done a fantastic book. So if you are into fashion, it's like, you know, a coffee table book with all the dresses and it sort of explains it all, but... Oh, I just... hardly ever want those things, but I really... That, that one is really good. Yeah. Um, it... Apparently, um, you, it's, it's amazing to see all these incredible dresses. They've collected them from all around the world. And apparently it takes their um, dresses because they're all made to a particular shape. So they start with a little dummy and then they put basically spanks on the dummy and then they pack it with padding so that it's exactly the right shape for the dress. And she was saying that it takes them um, basically a day each to just to arrange the frocks on each dummy. It's just so painstaking. And some of these dresses are just... There's one that sales, I know you were kind of quite attracted to, which is kind of like a sheath dress, and it's got all this fringing sort of on it. It looks a bit sort of feathery and wispy. And um, Katie was showing us around the um, exhibition. I was like, what, what is that stuff? Every little bit of fringing was thread that had been... Um, laid down and drops of paint dropped on the thread. They wait till the paint dry and then dries and then squish it. So it becomes these little tiny painty discs on each thread, millions of which then make up the dress. It's just... And it was, it was, that was one of the Raph Simons dress from the documentary Dior and I. Um, <laughs> and it was, it's just sort of a whitish grey colour, like sort of almost a straight shift dress. And it's got one navy blue dot on it for no reason and bright red shiny not bright red actually sort of like a I don't know what color red but like slightly more maroon to the maroon end of red maybe a magenta Yeah, Yeah. sort of like magenta. Anyway, it's fantastic. So are you much into the fashion? I mean, I know I've banged you over the head about that doco, but are you much into the fashion doco thing as a genre? Oh, sure. I mean, I like the September issue. I've seen a few of them. Um, Incidentally, before we leave fashion, can I mention um, Johanna in the audience? Okay, so one of the great things that happened in in the... I just heard her sort of nervous. (laughs) Okay, so... There's this chick called Johanna was in the group and she said, she put out a message today just saying, does anyone know how long this five o'clock show goes for? Because um, I've uh, got to go to a friend's white tie function at seven. I'm just not sure if I'm going to be able to, you know, make it. And also, what is a white tie function? Which I just punched the eggs like, I do not know. And I just think, well, like, white tie is sort of like north of black tie. It's uber dressy. Yeah, I think you basically have to go as the Baroness from The Sound of Music. Like, that's (laughs) that's what I think it's kind of means, right? Um, And she's like, I don't have anything like that. What do you mean? It's a ball gown. And so then all of these other chatters jumped in and went, well, what size are you? And, um, And she's like, I'm a sort of a... I'm a 10 to 14, depending. Like, and everyone's like, right, love, okay, we'll sort you out. And there's all these people sending pictures of their floor-length ball gowns in. And one of them has actually made contact. Um, the name of the chatter who's helping out is Augusta. And Augusta has already delivered Johanna this 
vintage 1950s Harrods ball gown, which Johanna is wearing in the audience. Well, she's got to come up here. Where are you? You've got to Can come up here. Can I get a hell here. yeah? Are you up there? Oh, you're down there, okay. Can, can you get into the aisle at all? Or is it too hard? Oh, you're up. Oh, thank you, oh, Intelligent okay. Housewives people. Come down and show us. Oh, my God, here she is. Thank you for accommodating the exit of Johanna. The poor theatre people Just are like, up, this isn't in their public Come liability. up here, no one can see you there. Come up, come up. Come up on stage, because we can't on. really see. White tie functions. Hey, when people invite you to something and then you've already said yes and then they say, oh, by the way, it's white tie. See ya. Come into the light. Oh, yeah. Oh, you oh, nailed it. That's nailed awesome. It. Wow. That fits you so it's well. Like it's like it was, it was made, made for you. you. Yeah. I was very relieved that it fitted. <laughs> I was very relieved that it fitted. Oh, my God. Wow. It looks I, awesome. I you, bet now that you're on stage, also you're really glad that you posted on the Facebook group today. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, that's right. But I'm very grateful to Augusta for uh, coming up with the goods. God, it's superb. Now I won't feel weird at this party. No. <laughs> I think you that'll be look amazing. I think that'll be great, white tie. Thanks for coming up. Thank you. Do you know what I... Uh, I feel like I'd understand that white tie was uber dressy. What I hate is lounge suit. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, what's that? Well, I've lounged around on, in my PJs. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know. Lounge suit is appropriate item for speaking at a conference because at least they'll have a lapel mic that will work for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're on the handhelds tonight. Yeah, handheld, um, yeah. Sales has become, if anything, even more deranged in her jihad against sound engineers who assume that she's got a pocket. Yeah, I, I've become really difficult, <laughs> even more difficult. <laughs> um, so the fact that we were coming to Melbourne has made me think a bit about literature set in Melbourne. Because you couldn't think of anything else to talk about and you were really worried that we would uh, just sit here and not be able to think of anything. Like, this was like, a follow-up weird email that I got just saying, like, why don't we talk about the literature of Melbourne? And I'm like, <laughs> okay, we can talk about... Yeah, well, something will probably come up, but, yeah, I, okay. Failing think, that, the literature of Melbourne, go. I think, that's, I think that's a good thing to talk about in Melbourne. I know. I'm just checking what the time is. Yeah, look, it's not because I'm bored. I, I'm fine. I'm, I'm having a really good time. But like, it's 5:24, which means that in six minutes uh, you're going to get so antsy because you're a bit like we've been talking for oh, half an right. hour. That's it's true. It's time to stop. Uh, and on my rundown, I've written down 5:30 Melbourne literature slash books that most evoke Melbourne or Victoria. We're running in advance of the schedule. <laughs> That's called, have you ever played theatre sports? What you're doing is called blocking. <laughs> Which is, I have made an offer and you have blocked it. Isn't that interesting? Because I call it amusing myself at your expense. <laughs> All right, Smarty. Well, what would you like to talk about? Well, no, I'm happy to talk about the literature of Melbourne. In fact, I especially um, did a one-woman poll of my producer, Madeline, and said... Um, what would be a good... What, what's a Melbourne book that it's unlikely I would have read that is kind of evocative of Melbourne? Because obviously I'm just going to go, anything by Helen Garner, full stop. Which would be boring because everyone's already heard us bucket on about um, Helen Garner indefinitely. And she said, oh, read a, read a book by Peter Temple. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, Which good. I have not heretofore done. 
And now, what the is last this? week, I've not I read have, any Peter Temple. I've either. read Truth. Okay, is that his latest book or his best book? No, it was, it was the prize-winning one in about 2010, I think. Um, right. It's it's quite a uh, it's quite a famous book actually, sales. <laughs> but it's it's quite it's not a genre that I would ordinarily read because it's crime and it's about a cop, you know. And I don't know what it is about cop dramas, but it's a bit like gangster dramas. I always get mixed up about who's who. I'm like, oh, is that the crusty one with the heart of gold, or is it the one that's like secretly on the make, or is it the? I get confused very quickly with all sorts of cop and gangster dramas. Like The Sopranos at my house loved it, but it was pretty much you know seven seasons of me saying to Jeremy, is that the guy with the thingo, or is he? But wasn't he just whacked in the other <laughs> place? Jer- oh, Jeremy must love watching TV with you. <laughs> well, just uh, some of them I'm quite thick at. Like I'm, I'm, I have other skills. Like I'm clever in other ways. But just you know, the most embarrassing instance of this for me is what's that film? Um, okay, so it was very famous. It had Leonardo DiCaprio in it and Matt Damon. Can someone call out what that film was? What was it? The Departed? Was oh, the Departed, sort of, yeah, the Departed. That, is yeah. that it? Yep, I can't even departed, remember. Definitely. Anyway, um, I'm about to just really reduce everybody in this room's opinion of my intelligence because <laughs> I'm not joking. Maybe I was doing something at the time, but we sat down and watched that film and at the end of it, I was not aware that Matt Damon and Leonardo DiCaprio were not the same person. <laughs> I just, and it came out really... I could almost have got away with it because, but I just sort of said, but why did he, when he did that, and Jeremy just goes, oh my, oh my God. You know that there's two actors here. And I'm like, ah, yeah. (laughs) What an idiot. Anyway. And you know that the other one was Jack Nicholson. You know what Jack Nicholson looks like. Totally get them mixed up all the time. Yeah. Anyway, no, look, I'm not. Ha- I've I... got a real handsome man non-recognition problem. If a man is handsome, I will not distinguish him from other handsome men. <laughs> it's true. Like I've even well, had bosses where I'm like, ah, oh, is that that guy? I don't know. I'm just well, like, ah. Oh. Look, I certainly, when I watched The Departed, was able to tell the difference between two of the world's most famous actors. I, I was able to do that. But I do accept, I do agree with you on one point, though, which is those guys do have a certain physical similarity, right? They're both not that tall. They're both blonde and good-looking. Why, would you, why couldn't you have cast one of the guys as a brunette just to make it a bit more yeah. easy to tell them apart? Yeah. I, I bet a lot of people had my problem, right? Like, <laughs> I hear that a lot about That's that right. movie. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, the Peter, just back to Pete, yeah, Peter, yeah, Temple. Peter Temple. So, um, but the thing is, like, it's it's actually like it it definitely is. It's a cop drama novel, but it it's can, spectacularly well written. Like, it's just it reads like a literary novel, but it's got all of the blood and gore of the cop and investigation and whatever. But I do, I get mixed up with all the characters. They're all guys too, so I'm like, ah, oh, blah, blah. Uh. So no women characters in it? Well, there's one that gets killed. Right. So it doesn't pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> oh, God, no. It's, it's so far from Bechdel. And so is it, is it, um, is it like thriller-esque? Like, is it heavily plot-driven, so you sort of... Yeah, so he's investigating a crime. Um, But it it, it also is about this character's um, background and you you learn more about his childhood and his marriage is falling apart, which is totally original for this kind of book. Uh, Hardly ever is the cop, you know, going through a marriage bust-up. It's just... It's it's groundbreaking. Does he Um, go to the bar and drink a little bit too uh, much? Once or twice. Right. Right. And also he sort of bangs a TV newsreader. Oh, 
a sort of hot redhead from yet. a current affairs show <laughs> telling you, man, cops, you got to do it. Is Peter Temple the Jack Irish guy? Yes. Okay, right. Yeah. So, I, anyway, I'm really enjoying yeah. it, although I'm like, is, but what happened to Matt Damon? I'm, I've got that thing going on, but I'm really enjoying the book. And it is right. very, it's very evocative of sort of criminal Melbourne, which I understand is a real problem, right? So is it set, where's it, <laughs> what suburbs of Melbourne is it? Oh, come on, mate. So, no, but I just want to know, is it like gritty sort of downtown Melbourne or is it like outer suburb? Gonna say yes. Right. Gonna <laughs> <laughs> say yes. I can't remember the suburbs, okay, to be frank but, with you. But is, but it, is it like... Oh, yeah, there's... Well, it's actually, there's kind of like a, um, a sort of a new fancy Docklandsy type development oh, yeah, okay, right. and there's a murder that happens on like the 45th floor of this flash new you know and everybody wants the cop to shut up about it because the building is kind of owned by all these wealthy developers and you know so there's a bit of high level corruption going on right. I'm sure that doesn't really happen anywhere here and um and then there's like some um skanky criminal types that are found dead in a house in Coburg or something as well. <laughs> right. Well, that's, that's good. That's, that's really evoked Melbourne for me. That's good. But what, evoked, um, what evokes Melbourne for you then? I feel well, uh, <laughs> very confident that you'll have an answer for that question. <laughs> no, actually, so in a couple of weeks' time, I'm interviewing Richard Flanagan. Kwang! And in a very happy coincidence, I start, I got an advanced copy of his book this week. It's called First Person. And to my great joy, when I opened it up and started reading, it's set in Melbourne. So I was like, oh, awesome. That'll be a good thing for my Melbourne literature topic. Um, so it's really interesting. And the surprising thing to me about it so far is um, it's really funny. And I had not ever read anything by Richard Flanagan that I have found funny. And on several occasions, I've laughed aloud. Tittered even titted even and um the basic premise of it it's based on a true story which is when Richard Flanagan was a young you know not even really starting out writer like wanting to a wannabe writer um he was asked to ghost write the memoir of a um well-known con man in Australia which he accepted the commission to do and there is an actual book that um I forget the name of the con man Siegfried something and I forget the name of the book but it did happen this is very well researched so far (laughs) But there is an actual book that Richard Flanagan goes straight for this guy. But this book is about the experience of when you're on the bones of your ass getting this lifeline, can you ghostwrite this guy's book? But and I'm not giving anything away because this is set up in the first 30 pages. The guy is giving nothing. He's just one of those people that you ask a question of and they flit away and tell you... They talk for an hour, but it's all unusable. And so it's Flanagan's totally setup. have done interviews like that and you just, you're, you're watching your life drain away and knowing that there's just nothing that can be usable <laughs> from any of this. Exactly. And he's like, I've got to come up with 50,000 words on this And he's got six weeks to write the draft and uh, he keeps... There's another great character who I cannot wait to find out who it's based on because it's the publisher, whose name is Gene something, and he's a real greasy, just horrible human being. But it's got this... You know how sometimes you read those characters and there's a ring of such authenticity and truth that you just know that it's somebody that Flanagan's actually just writing about. Someone's out there just reading it going... <laughs> yeah. Although those people never know that it's them. That is the yeah, thing. That's yeah, that's true. Like, Where's the handsome, brilliant guy? Like... 
anyway, so there's scenes where this publisher calls in the Flanagan character to say, um, so how's it going? And the Flanagan character's going, well, mate, it's going nowhere. This guy's giving me nothing. And the publisher's saying, well, you better deliver something because you've got six weeks to pull this out and I better start seeing some gear. Vomit. Anyway, it's, it's sort of, it's funny in that sort of way where it's just, it's a hapless situation. And it's, so I'm quite... Uh, it's got a good propulsion to pull you forward because it's um, you just think, oh, how is he going to get out of this? <laughs> like, what is going to happen here? So it's great. And it's very... Uh, if, if you'd given it to me without the author's name, because I'm finding it funny, I wouldn't have guessed it was Richard Flanagan. Wow. Yeah, so really... You're going to mention that. that to him in the interview? <laughs> so, mate, I think you're about as funny as bum cancer. Uh... <laughs> I hope Surprisingly, he... I found this enjoyable. Well, do you, know, do you know what I'm actually worried about is uh, what if he hasn't intended it to be funny? <laughs> You're like, oh, another cracker, Flano. <laughs> not a side splitter Little from Richard Flanagan. He was like, that was about a really difficult time in my life. So, yeah, I just, I can't even... Yeah, um, the that's other... going well. Uh, oh, I just, mean, just quickly, uh, and I know that... I think we've discussed this in a long-ago po- podcast far, far away, but I can't let this opportunity pass without just pleasurably reminding you of that brilliant article by Jack Marks about the time that <sighs> Russell Crowe asked him in to, be, to, to become his sort of, like, agent and sort of personal... Yeah, and he sort of blew the whistle. If, if anyone has not Googled that, Google I was Russell Crowe's stooge as soon as you get home. It is it's so the great. greatest piece of like setting everybody on fire writing you'll ever... But there's also there's... Ange- Andrew O'Hagan's got a book of essays that's just come out and one of them is about being given a contract to write the book of about Julian Assange. And I'm not... I can't yeah, remember... I haven't it, read that yet. I've got it though. It's great. I'm just trying to... I, it's a while since I've read it, but I think... Um, I can't remember if he was brought in to ghostwrite the Assange story or if it was meant to be, you know, an authorised biography. It was meant I, to be an authorised biography. Was I it? Think. Right. Yeah. And it was just... Assange was so incredibly weird to deal with that he lost his mind. Well, it sounds very much like this experience of Richard Flanagan. And you'd have to think that that is probably not that uncommon an experience when someone's brought in to try to mine someone's life for anecdotes to ghostwrite. It's, I'm always amazed, actually, when you read a book that has been you know, ghostwritten and they managed to capture the person's voice really well. Like the Keith Richards book, Life, I thought did that incredibly well. Andre Agassi's one what really, did it really, really well too. Did it really correspond with your personal knowledge of Keith <laughs> and what he's like? <laughs> it, was, it sounded... I mean, it was just exactly like I was back in my hotel room with Keith. <laughs> <laughs> Sculling some Jack Daniels. <laughs> um, I, I think, like you, I mean, I'm not going to talk about Helen Garner because we talk about her all the time, but I do find about her a little work. bit. Well, I just, oh, no, quickly, one thing. <laughs> we tried. We asked her along tonight. <laughs> She's yeah. like, uh, no, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> You sent her this email and it was like, hi, um, so we're doing this thing and it's our blah, blah, blah. And there's like, there's some awesome chatter that lives seriously on Helen Garner's street who has like said on the group, oh, is she here? Oh, she's here. Of course she's here. <laughs> and you see her and just think, there's Helen Garner. Just get her in for a cup of tea. And then find yourself, you know, in some sketch, you know, sort of unfavourably portrayed. I don't know. Um, anyway, so... So, um, Salesy says, like, so we've got this thing, you know, 
would you like a ticket? Would you like to come along? And then it goes into this whole kind of insane unspooling kind of, of course, it could be quite weird because like every single person in that room will be obsessed with you and you'll probably get actually physically mobbed and it might get even violent and there's like there might be all sorts of, you know, be busy and possibly crazy and we'll probably not be able to say hello. So I'm like... Go, girl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Way to invite a lady to a party. Yeah, that's right. Why wouldn't you want to come to that? Um, Ghana, Christos Cholkis. Oh, no, no, anyway, so the Ghana thing that I was going to say oh, was yes, not okay. that. It was yeah. that. Um, how about how Ghana was on This American Life the other day? What? Yeah, totally. Well, um, um, Ira Glass was doing this whole episode about place and sense of place and people who write about sense of place. And he interviewed, or he did a little, just a little segment on Gerald Murnane and how he won the, um, you know, Melbourne Literary, Literary Award or whatever. Part of the condition of which is you've got to spend half of it on travelling. And Murnane has never left Australia and has no interest in doing so. Wow. And so he got the award. He's like, no, I'm sorry, I can't accept this because I'm, I'm, I'm not going overseas. Thank wow. you very much. Why doesn't and he want to go? Is he scared of flying or something? No, he just feels that anything that needs to be learned can be learned from where he is. And But at this award, um, when he got up and... Eventually, I think they twiddled the rules and gave it to him anyway because he was just so spectacularly obstinate about this particular point. And they were just like, oh, oh that's brilliant. <laughs> OK, you can still have the money. And um, Ghana writes about this in Everywhere I Look. And um, he just got up and he explained why he felt that Melbourne was enough for him. And he w went through, without any records or notes or anything, every single place he'd ever lived in Melbourne. And it was like 25 places. And he, he could remember the exact address. And he just reeled them off. And apparently it was like a piece of performance art. Anyway, so Ira Glass does a little thing on Murnane. And he interviews... Um, Ghana about that moment. Anyway, it's not very long, but it's just there's something oh. so awesome about just being like Ira Glass and Helen Ghana. <laughs> and so, what does Ghana say? Oh, she talks about the moment, and um, she also explains him and you know oh, okay. what he's like and why he made this decision and so on. Oh, yeah. okay. So they're not yeah. talking about. Um how her work is evocative of Melbourne or anything. No. Not about her. No, but I feel that in from my own brain. Just yeah, listening. yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> um, when I do think about Melbourne, I think... Actually, I think about the first stone and, you know, her description of sort of cycling around the place and also monkey grip. And now I'll stop. <laughs> um, I was going to say Christos uh, Cholkis, just... Oh, yeah, You know, absolutely. head on for that sort of real yeah. gritty... I mentioned at the start that I had a year coming to school in Melbourne, which was the first year of high school. Went to McLeod High School. Um, and I went to band camp when I was in Melbourne. I do not doubt that for a second. I was doing, I, I was doing violin, but I had a real, real bad case of cello envy. <laughs> this girl called Frances, I really wanted that cello, but I never got one, and I think I've missed the boat on cello now. It's upsetting to me. Tricky to learn. Mm. It is, yeah. Um, so... It was that sort of entree. Just like you're going, Christos Chocos, it reminds me of when I was growing up as a, <laughs> as a pure child of Greek immigrants in the suburbs of Melbourne. <laughs> I know. I remember because I came from Brisbane, right, which is, in that time, was just the whitest place you could possibly grow up. Um, and then I came to Melbourne and it was so multicultural compared to Brisbane. And I remember there would be 
rows in the playground. You know, the Serbian kids didn't really like the Croatian kids and, you know, the Greek kids. That and didn't the, get a lot better as you got older. Yeah, oh, man. It was just like a sort of mystery to me, all these minefields. Um, but when I, as an adult, read um, Christos Cholkis's book, I felt like, oh, yeah, that's Melbourne as I recall even Melbourne as a teenager for the one year that I was here where there was a lot of, um, you know, sort of gritty, I guess, um, I was going to say ethnicity, but I don't know if that's the ethnicity. Well, yeah. at least you're well warmed up now, hopefully. <laughs> gritty ethnicity, gritty ethnicity. Yeah, red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Unique New York, unique New York. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. <It's> just a <laughs> and the slap, of course, you know, yeah. was brilliant. But also Barracuda. Uh, the thing that I really liked about Chalkis's novel Barracuda is that it was such an intimate evocation of um, a child of migrant parents kind of almost emerging from this cultural chrysalis and having this strange relationship of love and loyalty but also, you know, borderline contempt. It was it's so beautifully evoked. And I reckon like I reckon Ghana does that really well as well, if I can mention her one more time. Um, but that's she your writes final about Ghana mention. <laughs> okay. Damn, I'm out. Um, but that's what I really found so powerful about the Barracuda book, even though it's you know it's kind of about competition and growing up and stuff like that. But just that relationship with migrant parents is um, just so beautifully told. Um, the other um, book set in Victoria that I um, really like, or I haven't read it for a long time now, is uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock by Joan Lindsay, which I was quite obsessed by when I was younger because of the mystery of it. It's the 50th anniversary of that book this year, and Foxtel actually is about to bring out a mini-series of oh Picnic at Hanging Rock. Um, does it have a fancy new ending? <laughs> <laughs> it may, because, you know, who knows? Um, it's, Everybody it's was fine. It's a <laughs> It's a tri- it's a tri- I read The Secret of Hanging Rock when they brought it out, which was the missing chapter. So disappointing. Very disappointing. But that's, you know, what, what ending could you offer to Picnic at Hanging Rock that would be satisfying? There is no satisfying ending. It has to, in my view, remain unresolved. Yes, exactly. And um, the fact that it's better for there to be no ending is there really is, there could be nothing pleasing or, you know... Um... Yeah. And so I think, for me, the description of the day that they go to the picnic and the sort of the bushland and the sort of temperature and just... I, I, you almost feel like you're there. But it was one of those books... You know how sometimes you read a book at a certain time in your life and it doesn't speak to you or you don't really like it and then you read it again later and have a second stab at it and then you like what was wrong with me this is amazing so picnic at hanging rock i read it about 18 and didn't like it at all and then i read it at about 28 and thought it was fantastic see i read um lolita when i was about 15 so i thought it was rude and then i'm like oh rude book okay and i'm like this isn't rude at all like it's like uh, put it away there was no actual rude bits in it and then i didn't start passionately to love it for another like probably 10 years did you ever have like i reckon when i was at uni i remember reading jeanette winterson's book the passion about 5,000 million times like and then I read everything that Jeanette Winterson wrote as she wrote it and now I kind of like read the passion if I read like pick it up again I find it a bit sort of overly floral and it's a bit sort of romancy pantsy is anyone about to throw anything at me for saying that (laughs) Jeanette Winterson no, I'm thinking of she Sarah wrote, Waters. She Sarah wrote Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit. Yeah, she's that, I haven't read um, any of her work. Yeah. Oh, she is great. She's also completely cracker. She, she grew up in a very, very um, restrictive religious cult, basically, and her parents made her go and sort of um, 
do all sorts of activities and she was never really um, at her liberty to do anything or mix with anyone else. And she grew up as a lesbian feeling very <laughs> freaked out by this environment and she had terrible fights with her parents and she eventually just had to flee. And Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit is kind of effectively the story of her childhood. She is an amazing writer. She really is... Um, quite extraordinary. I met her once outside Richard Glover's studio um, because she was on a book tour and I was so completely awestruck by her. Um, the only... The, the, the story that I remember hearing about her was that as she was... Um, uh, when she was an impoverished younger woman, she used to um, uh, have affairs with wealthy women and ask them for Le Creuset cookware. <laughs> And so she's got some amazing collection of Le Creuset cookware. Wow. So, like, so I did not know that Jeanette Winston was on tour or that she was in Richard Glover's studio. So picture me being unprepared to meet Jeanette Winterson. And I'm like running because I'm doing the 440 politics spot and I'm like, I've got my, you know, notes and I'm late. So I'm like, Ugh. and then this woman comes around the corner with the book agent and it's Jeanette Winterson. Like I recognise her and I immediately drop everything and I'm like, oh my... Oh, well, it's Jeanette Winterson. I just bought an aqua crock pot of the oh. Le Creuset series, you know, like the, the, the shallow ones. Oh. Aqua. I got an aqua one. And she's like, that's awesome. Like, she was like, <laughs> she was right into it. But afterwards, I just thought, that was a very weird way to start oh, that conversation. <laughs> because then I got all embarrassed because I'm like, oh, I... Is it bad for me to just mention this thing about her kind of basically training in the Crusade cookware for, you know... It probably <clears> did feel a bit like it came out of the blue. Yeah, sure. Yeah, she dealt um, with it very well. She was charming. Right. Well, she probably didn't want to risk putting you offside because you seemed like such a crazy person. I <laughs> now, we've left some time for audience questions if people would like to ask us anything. So, if we can get some house lights the house up. lights and there's... there's um, there's mics around, but I oh, think look, they that, gonna... that bar sign has just illuminated a path to that microphone. Is it really? No, no, yeah. house lights coming up. So yeah. if you would like to ask us a question, oh, not I really, think that they were going to. I think people were going to run around and just offer a mic. So there's put, some mics upstairs too. For there those are. There is a mic upstairs. upstairs. Apparently, put oh. your hand up if you want to ask us a question, and we will come and. Uh... I love how you've gone into like producer mode. Right, right, questions now, please. I mean, there's been no <laughs> warning given, I but like, wanna, just I didn't want to leave it too late. Be prepared to feel really, really bad if there aren't any questions because, like, geez, we've done our bit. <laughs> No, I just want to make sure that if there's, we can just keep talking, but if people have things they'd like to ask us, I'd like to give them the opportunity because people do often have things they want to ask. Like people always ask me, Salzy, have you read any Dickens yet? <laughs> and I say, Answer no. Us, no. The you know no what? Dickens has been read. That is really hanging over my head in an unfortunate oh, yeah. way because at I the Sydney, told you. I could have told you. The Sydney Writers' Festival is for two years in a row at the Sydney Writers' Festival. I've mentioned that I haven't read any Dickens. I've read A Christmas Carol actually, but. I haven't read anything else. Um, and uh, we just saw the movie, the Muppets version. <laughs> <laughs> yep, done and dusted. Go to Christmas, done. whatever, whatever. Yep. Yeah, that's right. If the Muppets can do the others, that'd be really helpful. Can you imagine, like, Muppet Bleak House? <laughs> <laughs> that'd be awesome. Um, anyway, so now at the last Writers' Festival, someone was there from the Dickens Society, and so I've agreed that I'll read... She was not happy. I've agreed I'll read some Dickens before the next Writers' Festival, and so it's this, like, itch 
constantly that it's just really irritating to me. Like, because I think, oh, I don't want to read it. How and I've got to read it. It's short, it's gripping, you will actually like it. It's just like a scab you're just going to have to rip off, mate. <laughs> um, okay, does anyone want to ask us some questions? Okay, there's one down the front here. Now, is there a microphone bringer? There is. Oh, yeah, here we go. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Well done. Thank you for being my bibliotherapist, pod therapist, <laughs> television show therapist. Um, I really want to understand how you fit everything in. Your mothers, you work. How can you read all these books, watch all these shows, listen to all these other podcasts and do your own? Um, I cannot go to sleep at night if I don't read. Can, can you? No, I cannot. Yep. Dating from childhood, I just always, as a child, had a book in bed to read. So I have to get into bed and read. Even if it's only five pages, I have to have something to read. And I'm a fast reader. So I get through a lot that way. Um, and also, I think sometimes... We give maybe a sense in the podcast that we're perhaps consuming more stuff than we do because sometimes I'll talk about reading something but then I might only read seven or eight chapters and then I don't finish it. I've given up finishing stuff that now. That is a disgrace. I did not know that. Do you still finish stuff? <laughs> I've got like a Protestant book ethic. I, wow. I feel like I can't... I feel like I'm not doing the right thing. Like, it's rare that I won't read till the end. But wow. like, what? this is a person who throws books in the bin, like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so... I can't say I'm massively surprised. And also, because of my job, because, say, you know, Richard Flanagan is coming on, um, I can sit at my desk at work reading a novel and go, it's prep, prepping, prepping for Richard Flanagan. Um, so I can get away with doing reading in work hours. Also, I think, um, because we've always read a lot, I think, I reckon, like, sometimes about half the books... Sometimes we'll do the podcast and neither of us will have read anything in the last week, but because we're talking about books we've read in the past yeah. or whatever, like even books that we've talked about now, some of them are ones that we've read, you know, many, many years ago. So you've got this sort of impression of profusion of, uh, of, of reading That's when actually true. it's been, you know... 44 working, years. Yeah. <laughs> Television watching, um, I... Actually, it has displaced for me a little bit book reading. Um, are you still in your rut? Of book reading? The Flanagan book is getting me out of it a bit which is good but yeah I am in a bit of a book rut actually um the because now that's I can watch tv on my ipad so I have that in bed and tend to watch things um sounding a bit yeah. crowded in there mate <laughs> <laughs> when do you watch tv um so after the kids are in bed and if I'm not doing anything work-wise I'll you know right. but I I don't really I won't commit I wouldn't commit to a movie in that kind of time slot I would like a yeah nice we both hardly watch crunchy movies. half hour kind of thing so that I can watch and then I can still go to bed and read but the, I'd like to, sometimes I plan my day of transit so that I can maximize my opportunity for reading as well like I'll catch the bus or the train um so right. that I you know can read um, the, do you know the things. easiest culture I find to consume now is podcasts because it's very easy to be doing something else whereas obviously reading and TV takes up your full attention so at the gym I'll have a podcast on on the bus I, I can't read I get car sick on the bus if I try to read so I listen to a podcast so I, I find that I can get through a bit but again when we talk about podcasts I often talk about podcasts that I might have listened to two episodes of you know 40 or something so other questions <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Where hello. Up, up, up. Whereabouts? Oh, hello. Upstairs. Oh, yeah, yeah up okay. There. Hi. 
I've got two questions. I'm Caroline from Melbourne. Firstly, Annabelle, your black dress that you wore on the house. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just love it, and I Googled it, and I couldn't find it. Oh, I can tell you where it's from. It, so, um, <laughs> that show was so funny, but because we shot for about ten months, and... Um, we didn't know where everything was going. Like, so it, the, the wardrobe had to be pretty consistent because we were, like, chopping things in here and there and everywhere. And we started filming and we hadn't quite got wardrobe organised and I had this pair of black pants that my friend Wendy that I wrote a cookbook with sent me once and they're the greatest pants. They're full man repellers. Like, they're kind of like a bit of a drop crotch kind of thing. <laughs> you know, like those pants that every woman loves and every guy goes, mm. <laughs> And then, and I had this black jacket that I bought on eBay, right, it was like a willow jacket. They've gone in dust now, so you can't get them anymore, but it's a really good jacket. It's got a kind of, like, decent shoulder sort of definition. And I bought it on eBay. I later discovered, I think I bought Mia Friedman's... Um, yeah, I know. She said, that jacket, where'd you get that from? I went, oh, I bought it on eBay. She's like, I sold one on eBay. <laughs> and we worked out it was, like, the same time. Wow. I think I am wearing in this whole series Mia Friedman's jacket. Just by the by. Um, but she wants to know about the dress style. I know, I know. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. This is just a little, you know, exordium to my answer to the uh, question. Anyway, uh, so um, I had to wear these items for months and months and months. And in the, by the end, I had that black dress and the jacket and pants, which started out being my favourite items of clothing, but now I just want to burn because I just never want to put them on again as long as I but live. where's the dress they, from? Okay. <laughs> so it's like being it back at breakthrough like, band so practice again. The, <laughs> <laughs> See, and now I'm just going to string it out a bit more because you're being unpleasant. So, the, the brand sounds a bit like a sex shop, but it isn't. So, the brand is called Kitten D'Amour. D-apostrophe-A-M-O-U-R. Oh, that's terrible. It's like it's got lots of vavavoomy sort of clothes, but the dress is just awesome. It's just like a really good cut and... Have they got a website or something? Yeah, they've got a website. You can totally buy them on the website. And they've got a... I think they've got a shop in the QVB, which I'd sort of walked past. I think, um, you know, Maria, the wardrobe mistress at the um, ABC, who's this awesome woman, she got a dress from there, this black dress, and I wore it actually the first time to interview Malcolm Turnbull and Kitchen Cabinet in the 2016 campaign. Oh, yeah, claim, Thank you very well much. Thank you very nice. much. So that was, uh, you know, an interesting day, and then, of course, I wore it 100 million times over the course of this year, and now it's just smelly and So do you, you must want to just set fire to all those clothes. Yeah, it's, there's nothing quite as depressing as just putting the same outfit on again and again, and, like, sometimes we'd be there for, like, three days filming it, and there was... There's no dry cleaning being done in that time. And so you're it, like, I just really smell. Um, and was I, it a I, deliberate decision for it to be black so that it was sort of unobtrusive? Yeah, in the, totally. Because right. we were cutting back and forth. Like, it had to... Because if I'm, like, in a different crazy frock every day, then it's really obvious when we've cut back and forth between days. Because we sort of, like, built the series after we'd shot it all. We, we shot everything. And then we kind of spaced out or told the stories over each episode. It was just, oh, my God, so hard. It was so hard. It was like three-dimensional jigsaw puzzle and we're all just in ruins. But, but it was awesome, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay. Anybody else like to I had all grill us? questions on the Facebook about oh, yeah, where my someone's hand up from. at the back, I think. Where? Where is it? Oh, over here. Yep, Okay. Great mic work, thank you. 
Look at that lovely chat tin spirit of cooperation. I know. The mic is passed from hand to hand. I know. Hi, I'm Melanie. Hi, Melanie. Hi. Um, I wondered, Lee, what you thought of Grace and Frankie because you got cut off or down a rabbit hole the other day and I wondered <laughs> yes, what you thought of it. <laughs> um, I find it just very easy to watch um, if I'm busy. I don't find it very demanding. It feels like lean back TV to me rather than lean in TV. Um, I can't believe how amazing Jane Fonda looks for her age. My God. Um, but, yeah, she has had lots of work done. Um, the I find it sort of funny and quick, but it's not my favourite comedy. Like, it's okay. If I couldn't keep watching it, I wouldn't be that bothered. But if I'm getting into bed and I feel like, oh, I just want to watch something easy to chill out and sort of forget about the day, then I'm happy to watch it. But, yeah, so I don't, don't absolutely love it, but it's okay. I love that there's this implicit sense of you got cut off because I didn't let you tell the story. <laughs> no, we probably just went off down a side yeah, path yeah. and then didn't the come back. Funny thing is, like, when you said that, I thought, I have no recollection of you talking about that because <laughs> I'm like, I obviously spent whatever time you did spend talking about it thinking, where can I find an opening to jump in <laughs> yeah. and say what I want to say? There is a bit of that <laughs> that goes on, I reckon. I do exactly the same thing. I, think, I know. So. Have we got anybody else waiting? I think it's probably... We've we got time for maybe one or two more questions because then we're going to... Um, Sales, I'm just trying to yeah. make note of the fact that there aren't any more questions. Oh, right? Like, no, there oh, is. Just like, like, okay, the there is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. yeah. So, yeah, there's, a, there's somebody up there who's had their hand up before, so could be it's the best. It's like your um, when she was organising merchandise like a bastard, and you would have. Did you, did you see our little towels and bags and things out there? Um, that is our friend Gwen, who's a um, packaging designer. And when when there was on the Facebook lots of we need a pin, we need a blah blah. We sort of, she said, I guess we could ask Gwen. And we kind of rang her. She's like, I've been waiting for your call. <laughs> and now, like, two weeks later, there's like, la, uh, la, 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 and here's some other things. She has been, I thought I was efficient. That woman is a machine. She's, She's terrifying. amazing. Yeah. Um, anyway, sorry. Um, this isn't actually a question, just a quick comment. I'm a high school teacher, and, Lee, I wanted to let you know that one of my students did a project on you. <laughs> Just in case you're still feeling bad that, you know, oh, that, someone that's right, did one that on other Annabelle. kid did one on Annabelle, yeah. yeah so right. what, was the, what was the topic? <laughs> Is the kid here? Is that the snow? Uh, in Sydney, the kid was there to talk yeah. about their own project. So, I'm, she I'm, was I'm very representing intelligent. her. She was an amazing child. <laughs> well, so, <laughs> so perceptive. What was the topic? Um, it, it was a... She was doing a, a presentation on the citizenship testing and she was... Talking about hey? your interview with Malcolm Turnbull. So oh, okay, right. It, yeah. Oh, that's so. <laughs> Just to let you know. Awesome. So I've got that teenage demographic stitched up. <laughs> I thought 7:30 was all men over 65. Well, <laughs> that's who comes up to me in the street, at least. What about for, for a cuddle? <laughs> <laughs> When we got on our plane today, when we finally got on a plane, um, we were... Um, so, Sales had selfishly reserved the aisle seat for herself. Um, and so, I, I, was, I was in the no, middle seat. No, no. Oh, I often... You're making up stuff for comic effect. I often... Have we met? I often... I often... To take the middle seat. And you were like, no, 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 love. I've got smaller legs. I'll go to the middle because I wouldn't go to the middle. You're the monster. <laughs> what she says is true. Yes, it's true. <laughs> but 
But anyway, so we're doing that awkward thing where you're a little bit of a, you know, and have you noticed when you, like, organising things in planes, how often you touch bums with other people? Like, it's just like, oh, hi, you know. Yeah, anyway, so I settle down. The, the guy in the window seat is already there, so at least there's no kind of, like, climbing over to be done. And I settle down, and he leans over to me and he kind of gives me a bit of an elbow and he says, I think I recognise your friend from somewhere. <laughs> And I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> no, tell them what tell them what yeah, you said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he says she's on the television, isn't she? And I said, yes. I think you probably saw her on Crime Stoppers. <laughs> and then he realised where he knew me from, and he leant over Annabelle as if she were not even there. <laughs> And said, I just want to say I really like what you do. And I said, thanks, that's really kind of you. Would you like to meet my personal assistant? (laughs) But then the worst thing is that after that, because you're such a weird Facebook live video person now, all of a sudden, who even are you? And so then Sales has just got her out of phone, flipped it open, gone live on Facebook. (laughs) And she's going, the funniest thing just happened, right? There's this guy and he said, blah, blah, and Crab's right here. And he... Hey, it's not narcissism now, it's brand management. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, we've probably got time for one more question, then we better wrap it up. Oh, dress circle again, yes. Oh, yeah, sorry, yep. What advice would you give to someone who's obsessed with parliament and politics? Seek professional help. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I spent a year making a show for you, come on. (laughs) Well, go there, you know. Go and visit. God, Canberra's fantastic. It's such a good place to visit. And uh, I've got an idea. What? Ask to intern with Christopher Pine. <gasps> All you need to do is be incredibly flattering and you will be there. Write a really flattering letter about how much you love Christopher Pine. Say that you're really struck by his appearances <laughs> on the show that we did and also on Kitchen Cabinet you can you really find his steely sense of self-identity and determination and then can you if you get in tweet us or something get in touch with us and say girls I'm in (laughs) and then we want to have you as like our spy in there that is excellent advice Um, now, can we thank the Comedy Theatre because they have been absolutely so good. awesome. Nothing has been too much trouble. They have been brilliant. Can we thank Gwen, who organised the merchandise? Fantastic. Brenda, who's not here, but who we love and is an absolute um, genius. And um, thank you to all of you for listening to us, which still sort of mystifies us sometimes, and for coming. That It's just... Really and also flattering. for being the sort of people who will whip round it and find a floor-length gown within hours. Yes. Like, it's the greatest, greatest thing. And, like, you know, I know that everyone, when we said the thing about the merch the other day, there was instantly all these people who don't live in Melbourne going, but I want a pin! <laughs> I want a pin! And we will find a way to do that. It's just, like, it's been quite a short length of time <laughs> just to even organise tea towels, and I've... Very, very impressed that that's happened. So we're working on, you know, dispatch systems or whatever. Well, like Gwen is. Well, I was going to um, say. <laughs> which is good, which is good, because if you want that stuff done, you don't want us doing it. Like, you want <laughs> Gwen to be doing it. But 
you know, straight away there's all these people just going, well, I'm going to the Melbourne show. Um, I'll, I'll buy some for you. Um, you yeah. can just, you know, we can sort out a way of you getting me the money and me getting you the pins. I'm just like, nice people. It's nice very people. nice. And it's very good to feel like you're hanging out in this massive um, kind of online community full of people exactly the same as us. Exactly. Um, and so we would like to meet some of those nice people out the back. So come and say hi. We've got until about 7 o'clock till we have to be ready for the next show. We're just going to get our handbags, put some jumpers on. So we will see you out there. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Yay!